I'm Mary Angela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community, where we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. The goal of this space is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated or alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. All right. My guest today, we have been waiting a long time to connect like this. This is Sandra. Sandra is a entrepreneur, new business owner, a mother of two amazing boys, men now, right? And and, um, Sandra and I connected the way no one wants to connect uh, because she is a suicide widow and I'm a suicide loss survivor. And Sandra originally came to me to be a face in the project. But of course, I cannot travel to Connecticut to take her picture. So we are going to connect here and tell our stories to each other. I am so happy we're finally doing this. I know. It's been a couple of years. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like we've watched each other kind of grow and evolve and grieve and process over the last few years, too. Agreed. Agreed. It's yeah. been good for us. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's always, you know, you slide into the my DM or then I slide yes. into it's always a, It's always a positive. <laughs> and they... Um, yeah, an empathetic um, relationship. So that's, it's great. Yeah. And I've watched you blossom in your writing and sharing your stories with people. And I think that was the most inspiring thing about you for me was that you were sharing so unabashedly and unapologetically and you were just, you were using it as a, as a healing tool. And that's exactly what I was doing. And so I felt this kinship with you. I was like, she gets it. She's doing what I'm doing and she gets how healing it can be. I think there's a lot of people that will judge us in our level of sharing to say, you know, you're profiting off this or you're benefiting or you're using pain to to, as clickbait or I've gotten all all of those. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's really not what it is. No. And, um, um, yeah, the, the widow project, I just started writing it a couple of years ago on a blog. And then the boys, um, my boys introduced me to Instagram because <laughs> I'm just not really in this social uh, <laughs> media world. Um, but that just exploded because, you know, you hashtag widow and that's where people connect. Um, but it's been incredible. And the, the things that people have, have sent me um, DM'd or just written on my page um, makes me also know, like, they're like, I am thinking this exact same thing. And the biggest reason that I started the widow project was, um, my husband, Patrick died by suicide eight years ago. And I was 40 years old with two little kids and there I Googled and there was no place for me to go to get any answers. So I just, I started writing kind of for me, but also for 
that Sandra, that 40 year old Sandra. Well, I think, you know, you and I have seen bits and pieces of each other's stories. Um, You know, you've sent me a little bit, but I kind of limit how much people can tell me for my project because I want to hear it in person. And I limit what I tell because honestly, I want to save that for intimate moments like this, my details, but also because I feel like a lot of people are hung up on the details. Yes. There's a lot of, um, what's the word when somebody, uh, voyeurs, there's a lot of trauma voyeurs and trauma, like trauma, trauma, what are they called? Trauma tourists. Could I call them trauma whores? Yes. (laughs) Let's use that. Like my number one word. (laughs) Yeah. They come in, they swoop in, they find a hashtag. They say, Oh, this is so sad because A, B, C, and D and E also happened to me, which is great. I love that kind of connection at pain, but then they disappear and they never, you know what I mean? It's like this, they come into your life when things are dramatic and then they exit. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. Um, And, you know, that happens not only online, but it happens in life too. So I'm I'm a pretty good um, read on the grief horrors that show up. (laughs) Yes, same. And and I can always tell when somebody starts asking uncomfortable questions around suicide and my brother. And I put, you know, I was just, we were talking about this offline. I could write a book on all the things not to say and not to do. um, Because there's so many of them. We all have experienced them. And I think when I entered this Instagram world as well, I started experiencing them as well. And I was like, you people really don't know what to do here, do you? No, no. And you know, it's interesting too, just being on Instagram. Um, I, majority of the people are, are amazing. They're, they share um, or they read and they just say thank you. And that's all that, that matters. Um, and then there's that few that, you know, show up. But um, I think that it's, it's not only healing for me, but I know it's healing for them too. So yeah. You're doing good things. And you know what I say? I, I know I'm doing good things with my writing too, because some of the things that people have sent, it matters. And if only, and I've always said this, and I think I've even said it to you a, a few times. If I only help one person, that's enough yeah. for me. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And if it's, it's just, and I, I know you've helped many more than one. <laughs> <laughs> you have too. So it's, it's, um, but it is, it's just kind of like really being raw and honest and being like, this is the reality of it. I'm not sure going to sugarcoat it because this is, if you're entering this, you're the 40 year old that where your husband just died and you've got kids, it's, it's going to be brutal for a long time. And, um, if someone at least is just saying, Hey, this might happen and, and you'll get through it. That's what I needed to hear. So. Right, right. And someone to acknowledge how shitty it is. It's shitty. <laughs> yeah, like especially in the widow sense. And if, if you were yeah. a spouse and if you had children and then, you know, there's even a few people in the project that are widows that were pregnant. So this whole, like, it's just, there's so many people saying, oh, well, did you know what was happening? Did you know he was sick? Did you know this? Did you guys have a fight? There's so many things that are so inappropriate rather than saying, this is horrible. Are you yes. handling You know what I mean? Yes. How are you doing? How are you handling it? How are you getting through every day? How are your right. kids getting through? I think the kids are always the forgotten ones. Um, I don't think I know they are. And that is the other thing too, why, why I write it is 
I want my kids to look back when they're 60, 70, 80 years old. And if I'm still here or if I'm not here, but they know that they were loved and supported and they got through just like their mom. So they were, they were dealt a shit sandwich too. Um, and no one really acknowledges that. So. Yeah. I was just watching a movie the other night where a, a small child lost a, a parent and the grandmother looked at him and he said, she said, you, you were dealt a horrible hand. We all are in life, but you just have to handle your hand a lot earlier. Yeah. And it, it's, it was so lovely to look at it that way. She was like, it's not fair. It's not okay. It's no. really shitty. We all have to deal with horrible things in life. Yours just is coming a little faster than others. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you said I have men. I've had men since 2012 when they were nine and 12. Mm. And they, they had to grow up so fast. They had to grow up fast. And, and, you know, people still would treat them like, you know, la la land that, oh, everything, just put a smile on your face and make us feel better. No, they're, <laughs> no. No. Isn't that amazing how that happens? Whenever somebody says, whenever somebody asks me, like, how many siblings do you have? And I say, well, I have one that's alive and one that's no longer here. And they're like, oh, sorry, what happened? Oh, he took his life. Oh, that's horrible. And why do we immediately feel the obligation to go, it's okay? Yeah. Why am I making <laughs> you, why am I telling you it's okay? Why do, society tells us we have to do that. It's asinine to me. It's like, wait, it's not your, this is backwards. (laughs) Or I'm sorry. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Am I saying thank you? Uh, I don't know. It's just so backward. It's so backward. I feel you and I could do like just a grief podcast all by itself, just a daily basis of what not to say. And yeah, it's just a, it's a whole thing. And I feel like um, when I share my story with people, and you probably know most of my story, um, you know, raised, I'm the first granddaughter of a huge Italian family. So I'm ideal. I'm basically the Sofia Coppola of the, of my family. And, you know, because of that, I had all, every single amount of constructive and non-constructive criticism. I was totally held down by everybody's thumb, everything I wore, everything I said, it was just, it was a nightmare. And, um, you know, so when my attempt happened after a sexual assault, that was something that I just didn't want to be here anymore. And, you know, looking back, my assault, my attempt was very severe. Um, and nobody in my family talked about it. I was just in the hospital for three days. Yeah. Mary Angela's just sick. Yeah. And my brother and sister found me on the floor in vomit, called an ambulance. And there was never a conversation about the trauma that happened for them that day yes. and what happened. And so I, you know, do I think I could have saved my brother's life by having that conversation when he was 11? No, but I think maybe I could have made him feel less alone when he did need that space yeah. as well. Yeah. But so, you know, moving forward, as we saw red flags with him and anybody who's ever lived with anyone with mental illness or that has struggled mentally knows the trauma that happens years before. Just the fact that you're waiting for a phone call, you're wondering where they are, you're making phone calls saying, are you okay? Is everything fine? You're walking on eggshells, you're doing everything you can to make sure they're okay. 
And so if that ill-fated, horrible day does come, it's just adding to trauma you've already experienced going through mental illness, you know, dealing with a loved one. Um, So, you know, my brother's suicide was pretty dramatic in the way that he, I don't think he was in his right mind. I don't think, you know what I mean? But I do think he was done and, um, or I know he was done and, you know, he couldn't have done, my brother was just like such a huge superhero drama queen. He couldn't have done it more dramatic if he tried. I mean, the, the office, he went into his office building that day and it was a Sunday and everybody was off work. And so he was just using their internet and he made a mess of the entire office. He splattered paint all over the walls, wrote words with his finger, punched out all the computer screens. Like he was making a statement. This was like a Jackson Pollock piece. Like it was huge. And then proceeded to protect his face and his body before he jumped out of the window. Like it was just, I hate using the word epic, but it was totally epic in many ways. My brother's exit from this world was huge and it was seen, but then all of a sudden it was covered up and it was not seen. And no, thank you. I am. I think what I'm the most sorry about is not that I think my brother left the world exactly how he planned and how he wanted. And I think that I love that he was able to do that for himself. What I'm the most sad about is that um, I didn't call him that day. I think that's always going to be hard for me. Knowing I was within, you know, a 10 minute drive from him for six hours and knowing that I had the chance to call him and I made the conscious decision not to, because he was a lot at that point in his life. Um, it's something I'm always going to struggle with, even though I've dealt with it in therapy, but I am also struggling with the fact that, you know, I didn't get to see him. I didn't get to look at his body before, um, he was cremated. That was a decision made without the rest of our knowledge. Um, I still haven't been to Atlanta. I still haven't seen the place that it happened. Like these, there are a lot of things that I still want to do that will help me with my own healing. Yes. Um, but I think, I think my brother was smart. I think he knew I was going to be able to take this and do something with it and help people and help myself. Um, And so I don't know about you, but I I know that my brother feels more capable of being present now energy wise and emotionally because he just, he wasn't capable mentally when he had his physical form. Yeah. Um, And uh, so this project is so blessed by him in so many ways and I, I keep I keep talking about how wonderful he was, but I think it's so important to talk about how dark people can be around suicide and around mental illness. I think a lot of people idolize him and his death, and I very gently remind people that he, because I think he would be, he's probably, I mean, that's his picture right over there behind that leaf, but he would probably be telling me now, don't forget I was a scary asshole sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we have to remember that. And because I think that's what normalizes the mental illness to people is not that they were this angel, amazing human, and then they just decided to leave the earth. I don't think that that's realistic. No. Well, it's not realistic. It doesn't matter how you die. Like, right. You know, it's, it's not, I think suicide is everyone has to come up with their story that they believe or that they have to make. But, um, you know, <laughs> everybody that dies, had lived a life and right. we weren't angels all the time and made um, mistakes and were human and mistakes and we're all human. And I think that was suicide. 
it's it it goes to well they were just a horrible person i mean i have been asked things like was he a drug addict like so you immediately go that he was a drug addict i'm like no actually he didn't even drink alcohol he had a beer like a year or once a year um you know was he um you know so how was your marriage like oh right. so oh you know were you having an affair? No, actually I wasn't. Thanks for asking that on the day he died. Um, those kind of things where people go to a very dark place because they have to find whatever their answer is, but seeing it as a big picture is this person was mentally ill, struggling. Um, just like you can have cancer, it's your brain. And I'm sorry, but I go with that anybody in their right mind that wasn't sick would not hurt themselves. Yep. You try mm -hmm. to swim to the top when you jump in a pool, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's, that's all, that's what I go with. Um, yeah, I recently and, talked to a widow that was like, you know, I tried to understand why he would want to leave his daughters and granddaughters and it doesn't make sense. And I said, you can't make sense of it. That brain didn't want to leave his daughters and granddaughters. That right. brain at that moment did not want to leave them. That brain was probably just very tired. Mm, yeah. 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 Well, I know that I didn't, I didn't want to go over too much of my story because I know you've heard a lot of it, but it's, I'm always open if you have questions about it because I don't share everything with everyone, but I am an open book. <laughs> um, shocking. And, um, but yeah, you know, cause my journey was more, you know, after the fact of trying to find help, trying to find suicide, you know, survivor groups and realizing that those survivor groups are so unhealthy in so many ways. Yes. Immediately they're great for the first like six months. <laughs> and then after that, it's really, I, I highly recommend everyone only goes for six months because after that they can be really harmful. It's your growing process. Yeah, but besides that, yeah. Either stays stuck or wants to grow in their, right. you know, and figure out how to deal with their grief. Um, yeah, I just started a group for the first time eight years out um, with a woman that I've been seeing private, like privately in New York, and it actually has been um, really powerful. Um, but it's you know going in that it's um, it's it's not just people that have died or have had a spouse that dies. So it's people that have had a sibling or something else, but um, going into it, it, it's like a 10 week thing. Um, and, and the woman is, is excellent with how she runs, she runs it, but it's more um, not about the day or that experience. It's looking at it big picture and how you're mm -hmm. going to, you know, continue on every day or those kind of things. So I find that to be, it's, it's been really powerful, but I've been asked, you know, some people are like, Oh, you should go to this, this group. I'm like, yeah, no, probably not a great fit for that. <laughs> yeah. I like my therapist. <laughs> yeah. I've had my therapist for going on eight years now. And I feel like any groups that I'm invited to, I just kind of go, there's something really triggering and, and difficult hearing that level of, and I don't know how to put it, that level of a very frantic emotion that happens at the beginning. Yeah. The level of tears that feel like lava, the level of, of sobbing that is so painful. Yes. That you can't breathe. And yes. that 
I never want to experience again. It's horrible. And so when I watch people do it, I remember how it felt and I feel it right here. And it's not yeah. something I want to do. <laughs> no. And there are times it's hard for me just because I am so far out. Like that is, that's it. Like sometimes they're saying something and I'm thinking, Oh God, I, I know that feeling. And I just, I, it, it, I can't go there. Um, right. Because it's been eight years and I have worked through a lot. Um, but man, that comes back so quickly. So fast. Like, like immediately where you can relive it. And it's amazing. It really is how it comes back so quickly. And tastes and smells and Everything. things start happening. And you're just like, oh shit, this is way more dug into my subconscious than I realized. Yeah. yeah. And that's scary. It is. And you, you know, I always, I've, I've accepted that um, I am who I am now. And I'm not the old Sandra. Um, and I never will be again um, for many different reasons. But I am, I have trauma that I carry. Um, I have things that I do like, I, you know, before we started when my, my son was on helping me with getting on my computer because I'm not too tech savvy. Um, you know, and he said, oh, my mom doesn't even know how to turn the remote and turn the <laughs> on. You know, I don't watch TV because I'm always waiting for someone to die in the show. And I don't mm. want to start sobbing with people. Like I, I don't, that expectation of, of, Oh God, what's coming next. I, it like it, my heart races, I can't do it. So it took me a long time to read again. It took me years mm. to read a book and I still have a hard time. People don't realize how many things are put in our society, whether it's books or movies or music that are triggering to, PTSD around oh. suicide, death, and death in general. It's it's, amazing. it's terrifying. It's it is. I actually just wrote when I when I wrote my next TED talk, the one that was supposed to be in April that will be in this next April, which I will not be far from you at Dartmouth. Oh, um, you're not be far. Yeah, so it's Maybe at I'll Dartmouth. Yeah, it's at Dartmouth. I'll get you a ticket if you can. All right. All if right. they're letting people in, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's in April, but um, okay. I just wrote in that talk about how important it is for us to like really be able to understand how society has had no care or sensitivity to things like that. Like I can watch every superhero movie I watched. There's somebody that jumps out of a window. I know. Yeah. Every single one. And I used to be, I used to just have to turn away. Now I, my body tenses still. And I just kind of go. Yeah. Oh. And I usually will look away before they hit the ground. Yeah. Um, but people don't realize that. They don't even put it together. No. And it's, it's traumatizing. So I don't blame you for taking those things out of your life. That's incredibly healthy. Well, I, I feel like I've, you know, <laughs> lost. I'm one of those people like, have you watched this? Nope. Do you know what that is? I have no idea what Game of Thrones is. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. that. <laughs> there's and nothing by the wrong way, with that. You know, sometimes I say to people, they're like, really? You don't watch TV? I'm like, I'm raising two kids by myself. I'm sorry. Like, this isn't a pity party, but I have to mow the lawn. And I, you know, I, I go grocery shopping. And I have a kid that is, you know, they roll six, three, six, four athletes who can eat any, me out of house and home. You know, they, they cook, they do their thing too. But I'm like, I'm still doing the job that I thought I would be doing with someone by myself. So yeah, I'm really tired. I'm tired. And I take my, my good moments, but it's not an e I make, and I'm, I'm on all the time. You know, your son, my son went to college a thousand miles away. 
there isn't anyone else to pick up the phone at midnight if he calls. Right, right. And there isn't anyone else to, you know, I, it's just a lot. So It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's also people don't understand that. And this is something that a few of the other widows in the project have said. There's no bereavement time when you're a parent widow. Like no. there's nothing, you don't have that time off. Life didn't stop like it does for some people. Like you just have to keep going. You do. And like I said, I mean, um, Charlie turned nine the week that Pat died. Mm -hmm. So we had a birthday party and, you know, then we're heading in the first week of school and I have a third grader and a seventh grader. Um, wow. It doesn't stop. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's still, it's a little bit easier now that they're, you know, 16 and almost 21, but, um, how old was the one that I just met, Jack? Um, how old was he? Is he 21? The 21? Oh, 21. Yeah. I was like, please tell me he's not 16. He looks like he's 30. So yeah. that doesn't, okay. <laughs> I'm getting that a lot in my older age. I'm in my 40s now. So I'm just like, why does everyone look like they're older than they are? <laughs> um, kids these days. Now, I, I, I do want to hear more of your story because I feel like I know your story with an asterisk. Like I, we yeah. shared it in the beginning when we first met and I don't retain it a lot partially because I live did a lot of drugs in the 90s and partially because I I like to hear it for the first time in front of someone there's something yeah. really important about telling someone your story that understands it and that understands that level of pain because their reaction is really helpful yeah Does that makes sense yeah totally totally so um, I don't know where you want to start but uh even if you wanted to give some history on Pat um, I too. yeah so Pat and I um we met in college um and we went to the University of Wisconsin. Um, so we're both Badgers and both grew up in Wisconsin, 20 minutes apart actually, but um, mm. didn't know each other in, in mm. high school or growing up. And so we met and um, yeah, we lived, um, moved down to Dallas after he was a year older. So he graduated and moved down to Dallas. And I never, like people laughed because we were friends. I met him the first week of my freshman year. Um, and he was shorter than I was. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm 5'10". Um, I don't know if you knew that about me. No. <laughs> I love that. I'm 5'7". So we're yeah. up there. I'm up there. Yeah. So, um, here, you know, I'm 5'10". And um, my my husband was 5'8 and a half. He always said he was 5'9". I'm like, yeah. nah, no. So, he, you know, everyone's like, you know, Pat wants to date, whatever, go out with you. I'm like, nope, too short, too short. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but no, ended up, um, we got married, we lived in Dallas and moved back to Wisconsin, um, ended up getting married, I was 24, he was 25, so we were young, um, and then we had Jack, um, I was 28, he was 29 when we had Jack and Charlie a couple years later, and you know what, we're kind of like the mom, dad, two kids, we didn't have a dog, um, but we had a pretty lovely lovely life. Um, mm. not a lot of bad things that happened to either of us. Um, you know, we, we both volunteered. He was a soccer coach. We, you know, we were doing our thing. Um, we were, you know, well known in the community, um, cause we were involved. We had good friends, family was there. Um, just had a really, really nice life. And, 
Pat always struggled with OCD. Um, when I met him, um, like seriously, it was, everything was straight, everything. I knew that about him. Mm. Um, that was his control of now I look back how much I've learned now about (laughs) mental health issues after the fact. Um, so I knew that about him. Um, unfortunately I didn't have a lot of, um, I guess, experience. I'd never gone to therapy before. Really kind of just didn't, I was kind of clueless with mental health issues. I mean, very aware, like if someone was struggling. Um, Pat actually was on the board of NAMI. Um, Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, he was. Um, So very supportive of, and, you know, we did things in the community and um, and I look back now, I'm like, so you were helping people and you always knew that you, he, he was the guy that was the happy guy mm. that's, that, um, you know, people were always, I think that's why people were so shocked when he died by suicide. Right. That, right. That's what I, mean, I was going to say. It was shocking to our community. Um, and just shocking that people couldn't imagine Like they just, because you know, people said he's the guy that always made you feel like you were the only person in the room. And mm. he was the guy that you could call at two in the morning if you had a flat tire. Um, so, yeah, I think that was, you know, um, but fast forward, um, I always knew that he had issues um, with, you know, straightening. Um, those were things that we fought about in our marriage. So no, was our marriage perfect? No. <laughs> Right. Uh, but he was my best friend and I trusted that man like no one's business. Um, but that summer, like things, I, I look back and he, he, he started to go off the rails. Um, his behavior, um, his, he slept a lot. Um, I, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, he wouldn't be in bed and it would be, you know, where was he? Um, we were fighting more. Like it just... And the more widows that I talked to, they saw a change in their spouse. Right. And I just also, um, the weird thing was I had torn my, um, that summer I had torn my half playing kickball (laughs) and it was in a boot and it was super hot that summer. So I really didn't go outside much because my leg would swell up. So I was inside with my leg up a lot and Mm -hmm. he was taking the kids golfing every day. He was doing the thing. So we kind of were passing in the night kind of thing. Um, and that summer, like it just, I I was kind of just pissed, like Mm -hmm. pissed at him, pissed at being, you know, it was hot, like not, it just was not a great summer. Um, so yeah, that it was one morning, it was a Friday and it was the first week of school. The kids had started school the day before it was Charlie's birthday it was Labor Day. It was just this week. And that's the problem. Um, like we're talking about PTSD. I, it's, the, it's like that first week of September. I can remember this. I mean, not just the smell, but every single day because there was something going on, a birthday party mm-hmm. or this or that, or taking cookies to school for Charlie's birthday. Or it was a, you know, you have kids, you're waiting for them. You're packing their backpacks. Everyone's standing outside waiting for the bus all of those things that, and Jack was starting middle school and Charlie was going into third, like that week was, is just so ingrained and it sucks. 
Mm. Because I can't, I can relive not just the day, the week, like what I was wearing, what I, what we did, what I was like everything. And people remember, I'm like, couldn't he have died like March 2nd (laughs) or, you know, like October, whatever, because people too remember that it's always that first week of school and it's nice that they remember, but then I'm flooded with, right. So it's just this, and it's that, it's a lot. It's a lot. So anyway, it was a Friday. Um, and interesting enough, we, I still remember I was drying my hair and we fought that morning. Um, and the doorbell rang and he went down the stairs and opened the door and never came back upstairs. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I went downstairs and someone had sent me flowers. So he had opened the flowers and left the card on the counter and left the house. And I was like, all right, well, you know, he went to work. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've ever said this, like really said it. So you're gonna hear it. Mm, um, that's what this is for. Yeah. And my kids know it, um, but he sent me a text. Really? Yeah. That's hard to get it that way. And it it didn't say like I'm I'm, you know it it just he told me where he was. He did. He did because he it was an hour away and he wanted someone. Obviously, my therapist and I have talked through this. He wanted he knew someone would find him. And. Um, and you knew what was happening. I knew. So that's a trauma on top of a trauma is what they talk about in the, in the suicide world. It's, there's the trauma of it happening, the shock that they liken yeah. to being in an airplane crash. And then there's the trauma of being informed and notified or finding the person. That's a yeah. whole new level. Yeah. So you experienced both. Yeah. That's a lot. And then I had to wait. <clears throat> I just knew. You had to wait. So how wait. did you handle that waiting time? Well, <clears throat> um, I called my parents. Um, and I just sat there. I didn't, the kids were in school. And I just had to wait. And then I got a phone call. I just knew. And then I, um, when you got the phone call, you were with your parents then? Yeah, I was with my mom. Was it nice to have her there or was it hard to have her there? Um, I don't really remember. Mm. I always talk to people about the first person they saw after they found out or that they told. So like if you had to tell your kids or if you told your sister or siblings or something, um, that first person that you see that you kind of let it all down to is kind of a big deal to some people. I think I was more, um, I think just because I knew I had gone through it by myself. Right. Um, and then I, I, I waited until the end of the school day mm. because I wanted to give those kids every last minute in their old life. 
before they had to, before I had, and it wasn't even me like thinking, oh my God, I'm afraid to tell, yes, of course I was terrified to tell them, but I wanted them to have one last hour. That um, conversation had to be one of the hardest things you've ever done, I'm assuming. Um, my sister drove me over to, I had to figure out who to pick up first because they were at different schools. And um, eight years later, I still feel guilty because I had to pick one. <laughs> Um, and I picked Jack because I could pull up, there was a, a parking lot and, um, Charlie, I would have had to park far away and walk in and I, I, he took the bus home. Um, but my sister drove me and said to the, the secretary at school, like, don't let him grab his backpack, just walk him out. And it was right before school ended and he came out and he got in the car and he said, his dad dead. <gasps> sweet boy he knew he could tell really that level of intuitive wow at 12 but it and, also shows what he had observed and watched and knew he just I mean he didn't obviously know it was it was suicide right. but um, he thought it was a car accident but he just knew that that he had died and um, yeah, then Charlie came in and off the bus and telling him, and then there were, and then it was just kind of a blur. Um, that night, I did not tell them it was suicide. Um, I, I needed someone to tell me how to do it. Of course. Because how do you tell your nine and 12 year old? What do you tell them? How do you tell them? I mean, I, I, there's, no, yeah. there's no, the man that, that, I mean, loved them, right? Like he was, he was a great dad. Was he always, always awesome? <laughs> I mean, are, are any of us always awesome no. at parenting? Yeah. Did he want to say, no, I'm not giving them a bath tonight? Yeah. You know, but he loved them. And, um, so the next day, and, and what I, one thing I'm going to go back to, um, when I waited, I was getting texts from people saying how sorry they were about Pat dying. So people knew already. How did they know? I think I know. Um, <laughs> hmm. Wow. That's so and, hard and inappropriate. Uh, inappropriate. Um, and I was getting texts. I'm like, my kids don't even know. So that was a, that's, that's a hard one. Um, so yeah, that Saturday, um, my sister and my friend were calling everybody to try to find some therapist or some counselor or somebody that had dealt with suicide that would come over and help me tell them or just tell me what, you know, walk me through right. it. And um, then on that Sunday, um, his name is Doug, and I still, he's my, he literally saved my life. Mm -hmm. um, but he came over, 
and sat with my family and Pat's family and the kids were downstairs with friends and then sat with us and talked. And, and a few things that he said, he's like, I'm going to tell you, like, you're doing one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. Obviously the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, but you're also doing the best thing because there are no lies and there are no secrets and you can't, he said, the people that I'm, I'm working with who their family lied to them and 30 years later, they're figuring it out or they, they find out that their parent died by suicide and they weren't honest. I mean, that's 30 years of, of betrayal and lies. Well, and so, then there's all this stuff that comes up of, of, that you have to deal with as an adult rather than you could have processed younger. It's a lot. A lot. And he also said a lot of people that, that don't tell their kids and, and, or don't say anything. He said a lot of times, like you never recover or come back and not that you always do, but you're living this lie and you don't know who, what story you've told people. So you're always, always living this, this surface life. And I was like, and that's bullshit. And I'm not doing that. And some people didn't want me to say it, that it was suicide. Um, that were sitting in that room. And I was like, you know what? This is my fucking life. And that's a disservice. And that's to, to Pat and his struggle. Like, and not only that, but that just further makes this stigma just so heavy yeah, and so heavy. shameful. And it's exactly. And I'm like, I am not going to have these two kids lie or grow up in a lie for the rest of their life. Like, and I was thinking they're fucked already. Like what? I'm going to fuck them up even more. No. Right. No. And everyone, you know, I've, I've had people who say, Oh, I can't do it. I'm like, well, that's your choice. But growing up how I grew up and how Pat grew up, no more fucking lies. No. And the boomer generation, I feel like our parents did that. There were lies about everything. It was like, no, I can't help you with your homework. I've got bridge class. And in reality, there were all these other, these, you know, big things happening. And let's be honest, like, and, and maybe not even lying, but Jesus, like tell, give the whole story. Right. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah, Doug came over and, um, we sat there and having to tell them, my, my sister actually, my youngest sister did it. I'm like, I can't, I mean, I just remember, I'm like, I can't sobbing. I can't say the words to them. I can't say those words. And she said, I'll do it. Mm. So the four of us sat there and Doug on a sofa and Doug sat on the other sofa staring at us and he kind of set, said a couple things and, and he did say to me, he's like, they need to know that Pat didn't, um, wasn't murdered. Mm. They need to know that. So you have to tell them how he died. Wow. And I said it and, um, or my sister said it and we, it was quiet. Like they didn't say anything. They just sat there. I remember just being like, oh my God, oh my God, like, and I just remember Doug saying, do you know what that means? Because they were nine and 12 years old. Right. And it just was kind of like, they just sat there. 
No questions, nothing. And I said, do you have any questions? And they're like, no. Mm. So Doug left. And then really, it all started. Really? Started. What does that mean? It was uh, people's bullshit. Right. How did the boys react after that? Did their did their grief start to unpack? Um, I was very honest with them. I'm like, you if you need to cry, you cry. If you need to swear, you swear. If you need to like we are we are we're honest. Um Charlie um we had a couple years where a lot of nights he would just scream and cry. Like sundowners kind of weird. Um they slept in the same room with me for about six months. Mm. Um, we'd have to lock the door. Um, and that year, Charlie, um, it was uh, the Boston bombing. It was Newtown. Mm. It was, um, I mean, there was just a lot of things going on. Right. He, was, he was traumatized and terrified. Um. So he missed a good eight, nine weeks of school. Oh, um, yeah, minimum, I would think. Yeah, I mean, just getting him to school. I mean, we, we all started therapy, like getting them to go was hard. They didn't want to go, but I was like, and I would go two times, two times a week. Um, I fell into a deep depression. Um, Are you angry? I, was I angry? Hmm. Um. I think I was so out of it for that first year. Right. And then I was really angry for years. Mm. Um, angry at Pat um, for not getting help because he knew it. He knew he was struggling. Um, I mean, I was angry. I was like, you know, fuck that you left me here with these kids. Um, angry at people. Mm. Angry at family. for wanting it to go back and us all just put smiles on our faces and make their life a lot easier. Um, I, was, I was fucking angry for years. The anger is something that can drive us... <sighs> It, it can make our mental health worse, but also oh. I feel like sometimes it can help us heal depending on how we direct it, you know? Well, I, I'm not very, um, I mean, it's winter in Wisconsin, right? I was putting down a bottle of red a night. Um, and I didn't really drink before. And I was like, if I don't leave here, it snowed for 40 days. I'm like I am going to die. And I would be an alcoholic or I'd be dead if I still lived in Wisconsin. Wow. And some people are like, no. I'm like, nope, you don't know. I do. You don't know. I would be. Um, so I moved to Connecticut to a place that I'd never been to before. Looked at a map of the United States. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Wow. That's so, that's brave, but also like smart. And I um, just researched schools. I gave away most of my possessions. Mm. 
Wow. I, you know, that too, I'll say, like, I asked my therapist, I was like, why am I doing this? Because everything had to be like straight and brown because of Pat's OCD. Everything had to be, you couldn't see dirt. Right. Um, and everything now I live is white. Um, I live in a white house. I, I wear black, but I, <laughs> my bedroom's white. Everything's white. Um, and he's like, you know what? You have to get rid of all that. You're cleansing. It's a cleanse. Like you have to let that go. Yeah. Um, Pat was the guy too, who would buy like 40 pairs of socks. Mm. So I have, you know, one box of the things that I think he treasured the most and the boys kept some things and I got rid of it all. I got rid of every wedding gift. I, it just needed, I needed to really, I needed to let it go. Yeah. Cause holding on to stuff like that is, that's a whole other level of thing. It's energy that just had energy at bad energy, not because my marriage was bad, but just his struggles like attached to it. And I was like, I have to let it all go. Right. It's a reminder of the trauma that you just experienced. Yeah. So it's yeah, I moved, I moved to Connecticut. Um, and by a, a mile. I, so when you said too, I, I worked out like a fiend. I hiked the Grand Canyon. I did a triathlon. The boys and I hiked Mount Washington. <laughs> like I was angry and I worked out a lot. And that was my coping. That was it. Were you, so I'm going to back up just a little bit because this is something that I find fascinating with this whole process. Was there a funeral? Um, so I didn't want a funeral. Um, I'm, we're Lutheran, so it's kind of mm-hmm. like Catholic light. Um, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense yeah I can put it um and like the pastor came over but that was more for my parents and his parents um but I really liked him Mm -hmm. and I I was like all right I'm gonna do this because I'm doing it for these kids and I want them to see how many people loved their dad and over a thousand people came we had people, we had, we did it, um, a week after he died. Um, and it's funny too, like Pat wanted to be cremated. So he was cremated. And when I say I'm angry, um, I remember having to pick out like this box that you put your, his ashes in for the service. And it was like this, <laughs> this box with this golfer on it. It was so horrible and cheesy and I was like fuck you Pat and that's what I chose because I know he would have hated it (laughs) (laughs) I hate that I'm laughing but I also love that you did that like I did and all of his like people that knew him and knew that like some people didn't realize that's where his ashes were at the ceremony you know whatever at the funeral and the people that did they were like like a year later they'd say you did that to, to fuck with him, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, I was so angry. <laughs> so people know me well enough and know him well enough. Um, but so anyway, it was a week later and um, it was, I said, okay, I'll do this line thing, right? I'll stand and greet people, get, you know, three hours and we're doing a that service. That is so hard, that part. It was unbelievable. 
Um, and I did it. And people flew in from uh, different countries. Pat was a amazing friend. Mm. And that is when the, the tears start coming. He was a man who had friendships. He helped friends get on antidepressants, but couldn't do it for himself. Mm. Um, he had, um, t- at, at age 25, it's like big brothers, big sisters. He started, we started with a nine-year-old. And Pat was his best friend. And, and he had a single mom. And until he died. So it, it was 15 years. Wow. So, so he an was an amazing a, person. He was. He was. And you know what? Was he, <laughs> could he be an asshole? Yeah, he could be an asshole. But you know what? That man had, and I, I look now and, and I always say, and I've said this always to people, they're like, well, what, what was it? I'm like, you know what, Pat, I think was tired. I find out from his friends that he was probably always depressed, even as a child. Mm. And that, that, that happy guy, that show of, you know, I, that was the cover and more and more people that I find out that their husbands were like that, like the life of the party or the funny guy, that was their cover as a little boy for whatever they were struggling with. And I, I have this like, and again, I'm not super religious at all anymore. Um, but I have like this angel and this devil on each shoulder. And this angel that I have empathy for him and I have love and compassion for him and his struggle. And then this devil where I just, I'm so angry at him that he didn't get help. And you know what? I don't think he could have gotten help. I think that that was just ingrained in him that you don't get help. And that, yeah, especially men right now. Men. But I think you have every right to be both. I mean, I think you lost your best friend. I you did. You lost the father of your kids. I did. And you lost him tragically. I lost my life. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I lost. No, my you life. didn't interrupt. That's re- it's super valid. And I don't think that, uh, now I'm really going to, I don't think that people understand that. Everything is different. And I'm not saying it's not beautiful again. But I don't think that people acknowledge anyone who loses their husband or somebody and realizes how their life is forever different, their kids' lives, everybody's life. And not only is it different, but you're you're forced to look at the world different and people, it doesn't stop for everyone else. They don't see the difference and you have to see the world through different eyes now. And um, there's no acknowledgement of that. And I think that's one of the most hurtful things about suicide loss is people attribute it to other types of loss. And I'm not uh, minimizing other loss, but it's, there's a, there's a, I think I've talked about this several times. There's a, an, a depth of sadness. There's a depth of emptiness that it carves out in you. And it's unexplainable. Yes. You can't put words to it. People don't get it unless you've experienced it. But what, is, what I'm finding on the other side of it 
is while my depths of sorrow and sadness and life changed, I'm able to feel so much deeper now. Oh, happiness. Yes. It's wild. Yes. Pure joy in the simplest of things of like, I mean, seriously, like we talked about before we started, like I didn't see color. Um, I didn't like, it's even seen like a bird flying or, or somebody just like, you see someone look at each other and you're like, that's pure love. Like you're just watching someone from across the room and you see them or someone laugh and smile. And you're like, I, na- I never saw that before because I wasn't fucking paying attention. And I pay attention and, and that's a gift. I mean, and you know what? And, and, I have my friends that are widows that their husbands died from cancer and they always say like, you have things that I, I'm sorry that I just don't understand. And they're walking in the same shoes that I am, but they're not. And at least they acknowledge it. I think the thing with suicide loss is people just are, you know, Oh, that's gotta be tough. Tough. If I hear that one more time, like, there's not, there's not a word in the English language. No. No. You think it's tough? You think it's tough to grow up like that? Not only without a dad, but people make shitty comments. Like, oh, my favorite is Jack. Oh, you're going to get the A on the paper. You're pulling the dad card, right? You're <sighs> writing about your dad. Like, stuff like that. They, my kids come... <sighs> And the thing that I have to say too is it gives you the ability to say, no, I don't like you. (laughs) No, nope, that's not good with me. And I'm just going to say it. Nope. Nope. We're not. No. And my kids, the same thing. They stand up for themselves. They have, and probably ways that they wouldn't have if Pat hadn't died. They, they are empathetic and they are loving and caring and they, they, see people that don't have what they have and they understand. Yeah. There's something um, about that lack of understanding that I feel like it isolates us as suicide survivors. Cause we definitely feel like, Oh, nobody's ever going to fucking get it. No. And then we meet other survivors and we're like, Oh, okay. I'm not alone. This is definitely a club I don't want to be part of, but I'm here now. And I think that, you know, I've had a lot of, I get a lot of, oh, you know, 12, 13 years, it's been a long time. Or, oh, you know, your project is so lovely. I love it so much, but I just, it's really heavy and I can't like look at it too often. And I, I say the same thing every time, right? It's imagine it happening to you. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, this is too heavy for you. This is life for a lot of people. A lot of people. More than people want to talk about. It's for a lot of people. Well, and I think that's the thing is more than people want to talk about. Like, you hit the nail on the head. Like, so what is it going to take to normalize this discussion so that at the end of the day, people are not taking their lives because they don't feel shameful to talk about these things. Like, there's just this horrible cyclical effect that is maddening right now you know um and when I say this I I don't want you like anyone to take it but 
I know Pat dying has saved other lives. Absolutely agree with that statement. Yep, I agree. And you never want that. Nobody wishes that. Pat didn't wish that. He didn't know that was going to happen. No people knew that. But if we can take this life and use it as an example and, and as a catalyst for change and as a catalyst to make other people feel less alone or seen. And I think I've been pretty transparent with you. And if I haven't, I should be right now. You know, my primary partner has suffered with mental illness all of his adult life and he has been suicidal. He, I have taken him to hospitals. There have been so many struggles that I have been terrified and I have looked to the strength of all of the widows in my project because I know that it is not, I can't hold that. Yeah. It is not my job. Yeah. And I've looked at the strength of you and I'm just, I am forever grateful that you opened yourself up because on days where, and I, this is where I'll get emotional on days where I was like three days of no sleep, I've been in the ER and, you know, watching him, you know, on, you know, uh, you know, after surgeries and after his mental illness issues. And I've just been at the end of my rope and I've just felt like there's nowhere to turn to. I would just open Instagram and read some of these stories and read your words. And it's like, it's all I can, it's all we can do is just connect with each other at these painful moments because that's all we have. And there's so much of society that hasn't, I mean, fortunate for them, you haven't reached those depths of pain. Great. Great for you. I'm, I'm happy for you. But those of us who have, we feel so isolated at times of this, these horrible moments in reality, if we all could just take that stigma and shame away and find a way to really connect and say, I'm, this is happening right now. And I feel like I connect to you because you've been through something similar. Can we talk? Like that is just the safe space that's so easy and people don't think about it. Don't think about it. No, no, I find, um, I mean, it's funny because people through this pandemic to people are like, well, how are you doing? Whatever. I'm like, well, it kind of, we've kind of been living this way for eight years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of been in a pandemic for eight years, like moving to a new place where we didn't know anyone. I don't trust anyone. I'm working on it. Like I do now, but it took a long time to trust people. Um, and like I said before, I just was raising two kids that were active and, you know, 14 basketball games on a weekend. That was me when they, you know, younger driving around Connecticut that I didn't know where I was going. Um, but that's just what you do. That's just what you do. So I, 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 yeah. So I want to know now, you know, you've, you've had years of, you've been writing, you've been processing, your boys are grown, they're amazing. And now (laughs) you've started a business, which you just told me about offline. And I'm so excited about this because I feel like a, it's something that you are excited to be back doing, but also you're giving it a twist and a twist towards your loss. And I think that it's, uh, I think it's brilliant. Thank you. So yeah, I started with my um, best friend who's in Georgia. So, you know, working, launching a business in September. <laughs> We've been planning it for a year. But um, it being the widow, I receive, and, and you know, such thoughtful people, but um, so many gifts and cards and things. 
Um, and sometimes I was, you know, people would be like, God, I didn't know what to send you. Like you can only send flowers so much. What am I supposed to send you? So I always wanted to say, okay, we're going to create some sort of gift box for sympathy, but mm-hmm. it has to be classy. It has to be wrapped really nice. It has to, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it has to just be meaningful. So, um, my, my, business partner, Stephanie, she's an artist and she paints and I do all the marketing and all the photography and all that other stuff. So I had a business, a holiday design business that actually I like shipped because I was in Wisconsin. I shipped Reese all over the country. Mm. Um, so I did it. And then the day that Pat died, I just kind of stopped. Um, so getting back into it, um, feels amazing because I also, like I said before, watching TV, reading just my attention span after Pat died kind of is on. Um, So to be able to, you know, sit and be on a computer, the kids are like, mom, it's 2am and you're still working. I'm like, whoa, who am I? Um, So it's called Sandra and stuff. And it's um, gift boxes, um, other things, birthday and everything, but we're finding that it's really the sympathy is really what we're hitting. Um, And also it is um, with every gift box we sell, um, we are, we created, it's called the mama bird fund because we're both mama birds. And, um, it's, we donate $3 to, um, any organization we've, I'm starting with the, the, um, place that I went to in Wisconsin. Um, and we donate money to, um, places that support grieving children and families. Mm, I love that. Yeah. That is, I mean, this is a true, uh, if I, if you haven't heard me talk about post-traumatic growth before, you need to look it up now. Oh, I'm, I'm, my other therapist is like, you're kind of like the poster child. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had somebody come up to me and say, you are the poster child for post-traumatic growth because you took your trauma and are making something beautiful out of it. And I think that that's what you're doing. And I'm just, I'm just so, I'm so thrilled to know you. I'm thrilled to know you. Like, I, I'm excited to finally make it to Connecticut, to finally be able to take your picture soon. I'm just going to say soon, because I, we don't know dates, but we're going to be out of this pandemic, I have a feeling, um, by next spring. And um, I'm going to come to Connecticut, and I'm going to take a picture of you and your boys, which I'm excited I about. I would love and that. And we're going to do the other half of the project. This is just the first part, and Perfect. the other part is still going to be in pictures, because I will not finish my book until, unless you're in it, the, the coffee table photography. Oh, so, I love you. <laughs> so I want, you guys have to be in it. You're a part of my story. So oh, I'm, I'm excited. You. Thank you so much for being brave today and for sharing and for yeah. trusting me with your story and, and knowing that I'll hold it. Well, you, you've created that space for not only for me, but for so many people. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, um, to share you with the rest of the world, even though I don't want to, I'm excited to. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us for this episode and all the episodes. We hope you'll join and support us online in the Faces of Fortitude movement on Instagram at Faces of Fortitude, on Facebook at Faces of Fortitude Portraits. And you can find me personally on Twitter at Mary Angela Abeo. If you'd like more information about the Faces movement or have an idea for a topic or person you'd like to see on the podcast, please email us at booking at facesoffortitude.com. Until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, 
basically continue fighting for the rights of black lives everywhere, especially black trans lives, and do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.